What's up, folks? This is the Investor Weekly News Update for March 13th, 2023. Of course, we'll get into my personal thoughts on Silicon Valley Bank and a little bit of a market update. And then we'll end with a couple investor questions that you guys had submitted surrounding, does it make sense to take money out of your HELOCs and then some? But here we go. So I do a quarterly update, which I call the Open the Kimono Report every quarter. It's been about maybe we're like halfway through the quarter. So I thought I'd do a little bit update here for you guys. For those of you guys who are in the investor club, which you can join for free by signing up at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club, you guys can get access to that. I believe it was like an hour, half, two hour long webinar. But real quickly, first thing, operations are still going strong in 2023, which it makes all sense because the country needs more workforce housing. And the population in the, especially in the emerging markets are getting larger. And I think that's the investment thesis, right? I don't think ever that rents have gone down for any long length of time. But I think some of the issues that are going on, and there's always issues, but just to point them out, see normal seasonal weakness in the November, December. People don't really move around, look for places to live. We just finished construction on back a few months ago on Chase Creek Apartments, for example, we're ahead of schedule on that. We're half leafed up and we'll, we're right in prime ready to catch that wave to uh, get fully leased up by the summertime is my prediction. If you're sitting around with a 70, 80% occupied building, that's new construction. So it's a little bit different story. So it's more of an aggressive lease up. It's going to be a little slower in the winter quarter, but that's what the spring and the summer, your hot months to get at least up or you should at least. So I guess what I'm saying is for the slow you guys who are dumping your single family homes because you're finally a credit investor and you finally realize that you don't want the headache and liability, you may want to, if you are going to sell it to some of those internet firms out there who will buy turnkey rentals from you guys. And a lot of unsophisticated investors want to buy turnkey rentals and they want to buy it with a tenant in place. Keep that in mind. You want to lease up you don't want to lease up your property in the winter time. It's just not a good time to be doing so. Maybe think about doing a 15-month lease or a nine-month lease to reset yourself in those better months. Uh, number three here, leasing traffic up and rents are still strong. Four, now here are the big issues we're seeing. Insurance has skyrocketed. I believe like it, our, we've seen ours go up like 40-something percent. There are some rumblings in the multifamily universe that some people can't even get insurance and some people are looking to go in and self-insure which i don't know about that but we're not having a trouble getting insurance but it is a lot higher and part of that is investing in those gulf states insurance is going to be higher there but that's just part of inflation inflation has hurt insurance carriers a lot harder Zeroing in class A multifamily, we don't really focus too much in class A, especially the luxury stuff. We'll build new stuff, but it'll be more workforce housing class A. But what you're seeing is a little bit of oversupply and rent looking to taper off, which is good right now because like a lot of the, the new builders aren't putting in new projects at this time. So if you can get a project in right now, it'll take a year or two to get built and leased up. That might be a good opening for somebody to take to hit it when the competition is a little bit lower than normal. As far as the lower end, we'll just call it class C, you can see some weakness due to inflation and unemployment because now you're starting to see potentially some of the unemployment hitting the lower rungs. So then it's flip-flop. In 2020, when the pandemic 
the workforce housing, the service sector, hospitality sector really hit got hit hard. And then recently you started to see a lot of the white collar people, some people call it, the theory I have and some people call it is that Slack worked its way through the system. The lower end felt it than the higher end. And longer term, if and when there is a recession next year, you know, you're going to see that lower and feel it once again, as it's maybe the, you're seeing the slack come back with the other side. Number seven here, multifamily transaction still a standstill. If you're a mortgage broker, or especially a multifamily broker, you're screwed right now. <laughs> you're, you're not the bell at the ball and you are looking for somebody to buy and sell properties because life is not good because they're high and just people aren't looking to buy right now. At least we're not. We've tapered off our multifamily value add buying because I just can't make the deals work and I don't want to really force it to happen. They say that distress may be coming due to forced sales. Still, I think we're still a while off from that. Then I'm talking more like systemically, right? At some point, if you keep interest rates this high and people can't sell it, then people are just drawing drier and drier on their cash reserves. Something to be on the lookout for, not super alarmed, but moving number to number eight, that kind of goes hand in hand with looking for those distressed assets. Um, at this point, I'm more focusing on preferred equity. It's just a more safer play than going out and taking over somebody's distressed asset in this type of environment. Number nine, new construction deliveries expected to drop in the year 2025. Like I said, that's that little opening. If you can start something now, and you can get going and, you know, you can take advantage of this low right now that's coming ahead in, in the next coming years. Interest rates could retest the cycle at, at 4.25. We the next slide is on the interest rates and then short-term range likely between three and a half to 3.9 is what the experts predict. We talk about it every week and this week is no different. Although we do have a meeting, I believe in a couple of weeks, really determining which way the, we know which way the Fed is going, but basically how high they're going to increase the rates again. And so what you've been seeing this week and probably this ne next week is a lot of speculation. So this is a very speculation article here and Yahoo Finance reports that Paul tells Congress rates will be likely higher than previously anticipated, previously anticipated because I, I know life and I read this stuff all the time. Last week, it was, they were all expecting it to be a, half a point increase or quarter point increase, similar to last rate. Interest rates are likely to rise more than previously expected as the central bank works down to bring inflation, which means stubbornly above the central bank's 2% target, which is, I don't think it's realistic. I think three, 4% is a little bit more realistic. So what they're saying is, although inflation has been mod moderating in the recent month, the process of getting inflation back to 2% has a long way to go. It says he's pointing out that job growth and cons consumer spending is all pretty good. And the article does a good job of not saying anything, but it may hint that he may be looking to increase rates half a percent to 0.75%. I actually, that's more pain in the system. I actually, I know what's good medicine for me. It seems like if I had a say in it or something that was good for me personally, I prefer to him jack the rate up 0.75 or even 1%. Let's take our medicine and then let's break the system. And let's come back down to normal. So if you guys want to hear more of my musing, we operate now $2.1 billion of assets under ownership. And I always say that because some of my other podcasting buddies have closed up shop. They're not doing their podcast because they're sick and tired of all these 
people who flip 10 houses and now they call themselves a real estate guru. And yet that part thing about podcasts is you can't tell who's legit or not. Damn it, I feel strange saying that number all the time. It is what it is, $2.1 billion. I would say we really didn't start to hit our stride until we hit a billion dollars of assets under ownership and operation. But if you guys would like to learn more about what we do and some of the free e-courses that we have for passive investors, you can go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash, and you can hopefully avoid deals like this one, which for those of you guys know the, I don't know what you call him, Ty Lopez. He's an internet marketer, influencer, a marketing guru. He got really famous. I don't know how many years ago. I want to say five or seven years ago. He spent all his bar mitzvah money doing this really cheesy like video ad where he he was speaking to the camera in front of a bunch of Ferraris and, and a library of books. At the time, it was very like cutting edge, but he grew a big internet following similar to Grant Cardone and those likes. But does anybody do but do like an NTF project or start doing syndications once they get popular? And that's what Ty Lopez did. So he started to capital raise for getting into a bunch of like Radio Shack, Pier One, Model Sporting Goods. And now they're in danger of filing for bankruptcy. And people sent this deal over to me way back. I think it was like a couple of years ago when it first came out. I think they were giving maybe, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember that Facebook ad, it was like really cheesy. It was like, get 15%. And I told everybody like, Look, guys, there's this is like un, uncollateralized debt. It's pretty much a personal loan to these guys. There's no asset tied to this. There's businesses, but businesses aren't really worth anything when stuff happens like this. That's why we always stick to real estate and you always get something that there's attached to a real asset and ideally an operating, a successfully operating asset. But anyway, I guess I, I told you just that BlockFi stuff where I told everybody it wasn't really backed by anything. Um, you know, I guess I could technically say I lost money because I had $4 in BlockFi when it all crashed down. Yeah, so their deal revenues and losses last year were about 60 million compared to about 150 million sales in 2021 and about 90 million in losses. A major red flag surfaced last month when discount re retailer Tuesday morning filed for Chapter 11 just months after Mayor and Loeb, those are the two operators, paid 35 million for a controlling stake in a Dallas-based chain last September. The, um, I'm quoting the portfolio manager for Pioneer Funding Group, which focuses on distressed debt. He said, the realization that an investment they made less than a year ago is not worth what they put in into it could have implications for them because they have investors. It makes it more difficult for RV to raise more funding with investors who might be thinking, you guys just lit millions of dollars on fire. Hopefully you guys did not invest in that deal. So we talked about this, this is an article from Yardy Matrix, the mounting insurance premiums of ex-property owners in climate risk states. But even in regular states, I would say in even in northern Alabama and northern Texas, um, you know, we saw, yeah, we saw 41%. This article is saying costs are rising upwards of 15%. So yeah, we're right on there. Much more, maybe two or three X pacing inflation one would say. The problem is most acute in states that are experiencing a growing number of extreme weather conditions, including hurricanes, winter freezes, and wildfires. Hurricane Ian, for example, costs upwards of $50 billion in damages. 
and ripped through Florida last September. Weather-related buyouts have left some insurance insolvent, while others are avoiding high state risk states. You know that this, we sold off a couple of our apartments in Gulfport, Mississippi. We saw the insurance costs go way, way up, and that was partially the reason why we decided to exit out early on that those couple of deals because because of this. So they're saying this has caused a bifurcation market between catastrophic exposed and non-catastrophic exposed businesses with the highest double-dip increases in properties that have negative risk attributes, such as older frames, a challenge lost history, or undervalued assets. As an operator, it makes you think, why do this? Because who would have thought insurance goes up? Who would have thought interest rates go up? There's always something and I don't want to complain that it's always it's unprecedented, un unprecedented things, but there's always things. And now it makes me really realize like why high net worth, sophisticated money, they go after preferred equity. They don't care about being the common equity, especially when you have millions of dollars, right? Why take the chance? Just go after more of the sure thing. And if you can make low double digits, then so be it. The trouble is, I think for a lot of you investors listening, your guy's net worth is under five, $10 million. So you have to play the game. And if your net worth is under two or $3 million, you have to absolutely play the game. It's just going to be like one of these guys here, just sit on their butts and say, I'm just going to stay in cash, right? Like that just, that doesn't work if your net worth is that low, in my humble opinion. But hey, the media is putting through these fears, fear-mongering things. And the latest thing that they wanted to push the headline was the, the Silicon Valley Bank went bankrupt. Um, I told my folks in our, our inner circle, here are my takeaways. Number one, stay under $250,000 per bank. If that's why they have FDIC insurance, more reason to do life insurance and store your liquidity in something that you own. Banks fail. In two, I've, I've been in this since 2008. A lot of banks failed in that time, like Washington Mutual. I think I had an account there, I believe. I didn't have much money back then. Like in terms of security, banks are the least secure then insurance companies that will hold your infinite banking or credit investor banking is what we call it. And then, then you'll have like real estate things backed by hard assets, real estate. This is why when you, you always have to have that in mind. There's a big false sense of security, I think, with banks. That said, you have FDIC insurance, or if you're a credit union, you have the other insurance that insures your $250,000 there. So it's a moot point if you have less than that in the bank. If anything, you'll just be inconvenienced, but with a little bit of a freeze. But, but yeah, I think the media is kind of making this bigger than they really are. That particular bank was really heavy and VC crypto related stuff was what I heard. I think the this to me, the story is a lot smaller and less impactful than last couple, last I think week or two, Blackstone announced that they're doing a strategic default on 500 million deals that they got to their bank. That's a bigger tell with they've got floating rate debt and they're making a power move and making and con trying to call the bank's bluff. Different bank, of course. But I think that's a bigger story to tell that not a lot of people understand, which is why the media doesn't cover it, right? But that's why you guys listen to this podcast, YouTube channel. And if you guys missed this, all the videos are at simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter for you guys to get. And if it doesn't make any sense to you, to me, it doesn't really matter. But I asked ChatGPT, explain this to me like I'm a 12-year-old kid. What happened to SVB? And they said, recently, Silicon Valley Bank 
got into trouble because it didn't follow some rules that it was supposed to follow. These rules are meant to keep banks from doing bad things like helping criminals or doing things that could hurt the economy. Because Silicon Valley Bank didn't follow these rules, it got in trouble with people who make sure banks follow the rules. As a result, the bank had to pay a big fine and promise to do better in the future. So Silicon Valley Bank made a bank, got in trouble, had to pay a big fine. Now they're going to try and do better and they don't get in trouble again. I think that summary was absolutely horrible. And that's basically what the media tells the general public. I'm not a huge, I don't know exactly how banks work, but I know from the user standpoint who I'm sure I have maybe a billion or two of of loans, non-recourse debt mostly, but I know how the game is played and why how banks make their money. We're not going to get into this video, but if you guys want a little cool narrative of the SPV, some really interesting nuances that I found from another source, I'm emailing it out actually today. So if you guys are a part of the Investor Club, you guys will be getting that in your inbox to check out that and some other cool videos that the video team just completed the other day. What I'm seeing coming up ahead, right? Banks are becoming less and less. They're just kind of like insurance companies, right? Insurance or companies are more in demand. Banks are more in demand because the products that they have, which are loans, are harder to come by, right? Because interest rates are high. Banks aren't really doing too much business. Therefore, what comes in and takes up the demand that is vacated by the supply is called mezzanine financing or preferred equity financing opportunities, right? This is why we've created the Pref Equity Fund, right, to take over this void that the banks are just sitting on the sidelines doing. What it is, it's senior lenders. You're looking for senior lenders under stress is what's happening. And it's hard for new buyers to come into the market or newer operators. This is why there's this kind of void. There's an interesting opportunity with maturing existing loans coming due or the cap rates expiring. A lot of the cap rates, you'll buy them in one or two year increments. Those may be expiring. Another reason for this or usage is stretch financing. You get higher returns for that. And it's just, it's just a really good option that we may be looking to in the future going down this more and more as a not a friendly bank or mezzanine option but maybe we may want to be a little predatory and take over assets or what is called the loan to own mentality sort of similar to some of you guys will invest in notes you know it's like you buy a note a non-performing note to take over the asset but think of it times a hundred or a thousand multiple, right? With bigger funds, bigger assets, more institutional assets. That's what mezzanine financing and preferred equity financing is. Got a couple of lessons learned for you guys today. I was talking with another investor, their big stock guy. When a big stock guy, I go by how much money they have in their account because everybody says they're a trader. I don't take really advice or I don't really listen to anybody unless they've got maybe five or $10 million net worth. But this advice is coming from somebody over the $20,000, $30,000 mark or $20, $30 million mark. And they said, look, it's really simple. When it's quantitative easing, right? When the Fed is printing money, like how it was in 2020 after the pandemic to I think around mid 2021, you go into stocks because they're printing money. That's why dummies saw their stock market and their 401k skyrocket in that time. Right now it's quantitative tightening where they're trying to rein back, which increases the interest rate, which by increasing the interest rates, they rein back that money. And that's where the term quantitative tightening comes from. 
or the cool kids like to call it QT for short. But this is where you get the heck out of your stocks and equities, 401ks, mutual funds, ETFs, and you go into real assets and real estate. So that's where we are at right now, in case you guys haven't noticed. And so if you're sitting there with a lot of real estate or non-alternative assets, like the paper stuff, I think you really need to question why. And I know why, right? Because the loss aversion bias biases is really strong. When you lost 30% last year, you're putting on and you don't want to sell it to cement your loss, so you're putting out. But there's more tough times ahead. There's more quantitative tightening ahead. So to me, right now, based on what this guy told me, it's, it's very simple. When it's quantitative tightening, QT, you get your money out of stocks and into real estate or the hard assets that are non-correlated with the economy. And personally, the way I'm looking at it is when this thing switches back to QE, maybe I'm going to actually have a position in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, not mutual funds, never rip up, but ETFs. So that's what I'm personally doing, but it ain't yet. It probably ain't going to be here for another two, three years is what my guess. So that's why I stay in hard assets. Last more technical question here. I had an investor ask, what are the benefits of using a HELOC on investment? He goes into the math here, but basically I think it's a great idea to use your HELOC. It used, yeah, it used to be you could take a HELOC for a very low percent loan and make 10%, 15% up plus. So the delta was really high, the arbitrage between what you borrow and then what you're making. The nowadays you are tested, right? Your theory is tested a little bit because the HELOCs are pretty high right now, like in the six, 7% range. And if you're only making 12%, that delta is small. But I say you still have to do it, right? Investing, especially when you're lower net worth, under a few million dollars net worth, is like football. It's a game of inches. Sure, it's only maybe a few percent points, but you need all the percent points to get you out of the lower rungs so you can get more money to grow for you and then hit that hockey stick. So that's that's the basic in a nutshell. You got to do it. Unless your net worth is over 5 million, in my opinion, yeah, then you can maybe just sit on your butt and not do anything. But it continues to say, all right, so let's just say you put in $300,000 and you get 13% in an investment in per year. Your earn percent of 300 grand is 39,000 is what you would make that year. Let's say that you would take a HELOC at 7.25 and that would be a cost of 24,000 a year. So what you basically do is you, he's thinking, all right, you take the difference, right? My, my debt service costs minus my gain, um, which he calculates at nine, $9,000, but I would look at this a little bit differently. If you're taking a HELOC out, to me, that's a business loan, business debt to make money because your business is investing. Now, consult your own CPA, tax attorney. If you guys need a referral, reach out to us. But to me, that's a business expense. Therefore, you should be able to write off those expenses. And therefore, in a way that 7.25% at like the 24% tax bracket should come down to six or in the fives. So that creates that little bit bigger gap. Of course, at the same time, your income, you got to pay taxes on it. But I say negate that because any money you make, you pay taxes on it. But to me, it's like a mood point to compare. And I think that's where I'm reading between the lines. If you're thinking about this, well, I got to pay taxes on it. Yeah, dude, you got to pay tax. Everyone have to pay taxes. It doesn't give you an excuse not to do anything. It's some people in 
China, they got that lay flat movement, right? They're like, well, I'm only going to make $6. I might as well just sit at home and lay on my back and do nothing and make no money. This is the same attitude here. You, you got to, we're all we're Americans here. We got to work. We don't have that attitude. Same thing here. Even if it is like a four or 5% Delta, you have to do it, right? Over time, that Delta is, might say the same, but the amount, the principle gets bigger and bigger. Not many people are using the more advanced strategies that we teach and we hold people by the hand in the family office group, especially working with their CPA on to use passive losses to lower their ordinary W-2 or 1099 income. Now that is when you really start to hit uh, light speed. And I think not a lot of people really recognize this right up front. Even for people who've joined the family office group, it takes a while to really grasp on, oh, that's why we're doing real estate. That's why these passive losses mean so much. And it's more important really than the actual investments. We do have a new service provider that is exclusive to our family office group. So if you guys have been sitting on the sidelines on the family office group. That's another new thing we've added as another another service there. But we've also increased the price too. And that's, if you guys are just sitting, it's always going to get more and more expensive. But yeah, if you have lazy equity sitting around in your home, in your rental properties, or money in like a money market account or your retirement account, consider taking the money out via HELOC or just taking it out of your 401k. We've done a lot of videos on that. If you guys want to go through your personal situation, feel free to shoot a team or team an email. Uh, we can go through your specific situation and we can decide if it makes sense for you to drain out your 401ks, Roth IRAs, that stuff. Because a lot of times it does make sense to do that. And I think it's important to understand and go through it. If you guys want to do one of those, we record it for the podcast, but we change your identity and give you a fun emoji looking profile picture so nobody knows who you are. So it's anonymous. Um, let us know if you guys are interested in that by emailing us. But uh, yeah, if you guys want to help me out, check out the Journey to Simple Passive Cashflow book. I think we're up to 120, 130 book reviews there. I am working on the second book, actually, as we speak. I'm up to the second draft. So if you guys are looking to get first access to that second book for free and able to give me a review and more importantly, feedback on the book for the last draft, also reach out. That's you guys are insiders when you guys join the club for fun projects like that. But uh, we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. Bye.